Welcome to the Intriguing Beings podcast with me, Rue Chater. Season 2, Episode 2. So I'm back after a rather short break compared to the break I had last time. Um, life's been pretty busy, lots of travelling around, uh, lots of kite brands launching new products and things like that. So I've been jetting here, there and everywhere. I'm currently in the middle of a deadline and I shouldn't really be putting this podcast out today, but I'm very aware that I was been meaning to get it out for the last few weeks and haven't had a chance. So I just figured I would make the most of an early start this morning and get this one out for you guys. I've got another couple I'm hoping to release over the weekend and early next week so there should be a little bit more content coming out from me on a little bit more of a regular basis and once this uh, round of deadlines for the magazines are done I've got one more trip to Hood River uh, for a big kite event over there and then that's it my traveling is done which brings me almost to the time when I broke my ankle because that anniversary is coming up the 8th of August will be a year since I did it and it was after I did that that I found the time um, to get these podcasts going on a little bit more of a regular basis and generally around September October November um, there's not too much going on uh, on my travel plan so I have a little bit more time at home to get things done so hopefully uh, you'll get to listen to a few more of these. I've been recording them everywhere I go. I've got some absolute classics uh, in the pipeline, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. So this episode is a really interesting one, actually. It's with a gentleman called Ralph Gruschel. He is the kite designer or one of the kite designers for Duotone Kiteboarding. So he looks after a few of the kites that they produce. But he's a lot more than that. And when you speak to him, he's a very, very interesting character. He's highly intelligent, and that comes across in the interview. But if you've ever thought to yourself there just aren't enough hours in the day, then Ralph is probably the man that you need to listen to to make you realise that there's plenty more hours in the day and you can actually do an awful lot with your life. In addition to being a freelance kite designer for Duotone, he runs a company called Jibe Tents, which make promotional tents uh, which can be used at events, but also they're used for humanitarian purposes. They're sort of inflatable tents. Um, he is a racing car driver and uh, races cars and has a couple of nice cars in his collection as well which he drives around and he also has a company which um, he designs these special sort of spinnaker type kite sails for yachts um, which is quite impressive and he does all manner of other things as well designs paragliders and in recent years he's just set up a software company um, which is looking at ways of managing his life and all of these companies that he operates and that's possibly maybe going to be the big break that he has in terms of you know a huge amount of success where we're talking about companies worth serious amounts of money so when I sat down and spoke to Ralph, I was just kind of a bit blown away by how he has enough hours in the day to do all these things. Um, and I think it comes down to sort of being productive with your time and, you know, realising that actually watching Netflix, sitting on social media, looking at various things, um, you know, you don't have to do that. You can be constructive with the time that we're afforded and make the most of it. Um, in a productive manner rather than just perhaps wasting it sometimes anyway without any more chat from me let's get into this week's episode enjoy 
Hi there, I hope you're having a lovely day. Today I am sat with an interesting gentleman who is famous for his design skills, not just in kiteboarding, but paragliding and other areas of his life as well. His name is Ralph Grusel, which I may or may not have pronounced perfectly. We've just been chatting about that, so he, he can correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. Um, but Ralph's been a freelance kite designer for Duotone for a long time now, mm. and he's behind some of the kites that you will fly. He also designs paragliders, um, which is a slightly smaller market, but obviously a much more responsible one because people are jumping off mountains and flying for miles and miles and miles. So you've really got their entire lives in your hands when you're doing that. And he also developed uh, something called Jibe Tents, which you can look up on the Internet. And these are tents that are used for exhibitions, um, humanitarian reasons, all sorts of things. Inflatable tents is probably the best way to describe them, and they've got a whole range of those and things like that. And I thought Ralph would be an interesting person to get on the podcast and um, to chat a little bit about where he's been, where he's come from, and some of his ideas and outlooks on life. Um, so, Ralph, first question. We were chatting a little bit earlier. You mentioned that from a very young age you got into design and you mentioned that you know your first sort of experience of of sports as it were was seeing paragliding on the lake where you lived i think you said is that right um yeah basically um i was uh, on holidays in mm -hmm. bulgaria i was wow, 12 13 okay and uh, i saw people jumping from the cliff with very old school type of paragliders like not really the things you can see like the highly sophisticated ones which are flying these days it was really more like a parachute version okay. and um, i was totally fascinated by the fact that these uh, these flexible wings are lifting these guys up the mountain and they had quite a fun obviously like really and uh, i thought by myself okay i really have to go into that matter and uh, think about it because um, I was always, uh, when I was a kid, playing with uh, sailplanes, like radio-controlled sailplanes, and uh, tried to build my own sailplanes really by myself, like yeah. not only building it, but really developing it. And so I got uh, very deeply into aerodynamics, as deep as ever I could. Like yeah. these days, back in these days, it was not so not so easy to get the right information. And so uh, 12, 13, what year are we talking about back then? That's a very, that's very a, good question. I was just saying, pre-computers, pretty much. Nah, it's not, oh, yeah, it's almost. Not, <laughs> or, yeah, but almost. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm doing a disservice there. Okay. So, yeah, well, isn't that I look so old <laughs> that it was pre-computers? So I'm actually... No, but no. It's, compared to today, you didn't yeah. have Google and things like that, no, right? No. So, no, there was no Google. There were... Uh, I actually, I, I'm not able to remember what was my first computer, but it was a, a Commodore yeah, C64, 64, 64, yeah. C64 something, Commodore C64. And um, yeah, I mean, I was just basically studying all the books which, are, which were available. I was studying all the profiles, the history of like how humans uh, started to analyze it, like the NACAR and EPLA and whatever, uh, which is required uh, to actually build planes in, in various uh, yeah. ways. So, and, um, well, the decision was done. I yeah. wanted to start paragliding because it was cool, looked cool. <laughs> looked so, like so it looked fun. I, con I convinced my, my mom to, to actually let me go, which was uh, kind of harsh because it was 14 in the end when I started first paragliding it was not even legal uh, in oh germany. really yeah no no that was too young like, too young like in germany you are allowed to fly a paragliders or you you are allowed to start 
learning to fly when you were 16. Okay. And in Bulgari Bulgaria, like, no one oh, cared. no one cared, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, perfect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely per fine, yeah. Absolutely fine. It was totally perfect. So, um, But before I uh, decided to uh, jump from the first cliff, I thought by myself, I really have to know why that entire thing is flying. And, yeah. what, like, why, why is it steering the way? Like, how to start and everything. So I really tried to to dive into that matter quite deeply and I got myself uh, a very old sewing machine from my mom and I went into a shop where I could get some ripstop material yeah. and um, yeah, and uh, basically started to, to build my own first scaled paragliding models. Yeah. I did a lot of these things until the point where I realized, okay, I really have to progress uh, in a more um, complex area, so I got myself uh, the first computer, yep. the first CAD programs, which were very, very different to the ones. I imagine which they must have been well, super basic back then. It was well, very complicated. It was super complicated in but, the end, but still very basic in what you could actually do with it. Totally, it was mainly two-dimensional drawings, and it was really, especially if you look to AutoCAD, the the AutoCAD tutorial for the AutoCAD release. What was it? Release ten? I can't, I cannot remember. It was 900 pages or something, super <laughs> stupid, just just with comments. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted to, if you wanted to draw a line, it's like you really have to know how to draw a line. Yeah. You know, now <laughs> these days you go with the mouse and click somewhere and yeah, just do it. It works, but it works. You yeah. And and there it was. It was just very much more difficult to actually uh, self-educate yeah. yeah yourself into into these type of programs. But I managed it in a couple of days actually because I was just sitting twenty four seven on the computer Have until you the point. Been super analytical because it, sort of, it comes across that you're you're really you've seen paragliding, you want to have a go at it, but before you even start, you're like going into it full bore. Has that been something that you've always been like, or did it just come from paragliding this I, need to analyze everything? I would say I'm super pedantic. Okay. At, at pretty much everything. I think this is one you have to, like, not you have to, but for, this, you. The, for me, for yeah. me, really. I mean, I really want to dive into the matter as deep as I potentially can. And um, so it was for me an essential part of the process to actually understand everything in detail, like yeah. from the production process. Um, I mean, I never had the chance to talk anybody in the paragliding scene before I started, you know, yeah. like because for me it was I was young, I was was there, and I really tried to figure it out all by myself, like how to splice lines and what type of lines and why is this profile flying better than the other? And because the profiles, for example, on a paraglider are super different to the ones you find in in books for for sailplanes yeah, or, or for, for an airplane, airplane. totally different yeah totally different because it's like a totally different range of airspeed you're looking for so it's a different physic uh, physics behind it so yeah um finally i was uh, i was finding myself behind the computer screen <laughs> for uh, long 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 days and long nights uh, <laughs> and uh, trying to figure out how to build the first first two dimensional outlines of paragliders and then um, uh, luckily I um, was able to get my hands on a, lay, on a uh, newer AutoCAD version yeah. which allowed me to draw in 3D. Still the unrolling process was not there so unrolling is basically to have like the, the profile segments from one rib to another this surface is three-dimensional, and for the for the production process, you need, of course, a two-dimensional pattern. Because the pattern. flat. Absolutely. You need the flat pattern, and the progress of doing this is called unrolling, unrolling yeah. the surfaces, and it was not possible. So I built it like mach uh, machineries at home to actually print th these profiles, 
and then um, squeeze them into like this machinery and then uh, unrolling the surfaces. But it was super precise, actually. It was by a millimeter. Wow. And um, so I, I did super complex, I would say really super complex paragliders with 64 cells and, and uh, outline which has never been before. And yeah. so I really, I really try to, to, yeah, to get new things which I had in mind onto the paper and also then into the model. And that was basically the starting of my paragliding career. How was uh, the first time you jumped off the hill in Bulgaria, off the mountain? It was uh, scary. <laughs> did, you, did you have a lesson or did you have anyone tell well, you or did yeah, you just strap yourself in and go? <laughs> in the end, I pretty much strapped myself into it. Uh, because no I, had a, I had a belief. Anyone listening to this now just be like, that is not how you learn to paraglide. No, right? you, you, you should, you should, you should you not do that. No, really, you should not do that. It's super dangerous. But on the other side, I have to say, I was so convinced because with all the flying these little kites in the yeah. end, yeah. And learning everything. And learning you everything. Learned, you, I really knew what to do. I was really absolutely 100% also convinced that I can, can fly it. But then it was not a problem of handling it. Starting and landing was not an issue. But then you realize that there's a lot of space between your feet and the ground. <laughs> so all the stuff in your bedroom with the computer exactly. and the physics in the garden with a small pad, and then suddenly you're like, I'm yes, really high. I'm really high. And actually the wind is blowing from the left and I wanted to go to that side, but I couldn't because I was so light. Okay. I was so light. I was really so skinny when I was young. So unbelievable light. And the gliders were way too big for me. I was always flying with minimum 10 kilograms of ballast yeah and it was even too light so pretty much the glider was flying with me and not i was flying with yeah, the glider you were just along for the ride i was teabagging through <laughs> the air pretty much pretty badly uh, but um, that even uh, was pushing me more to go into that uh, matter deeply because i was like thinking by myself hey why is the glider behaving like this how why? can i change it to be better for me and what can i do absolutely yeah in the end so how long was it before you um, developed your own wing and then used that for your first flight? Oh, that took actually um, some years, I have to say. Actually, so the first models, like the really um, progressive ones, uh, I developed when I was 16. Yeah. And then I started to, f to work as a paragliding test pilot for several companies. And actually, uh, in 2001, when... Uh, when we started Skywalk, um, then basically I developed my very first own paraglider. All the other gliders which I flew in between were developed by somebody else. So I never really had the chance uh, to actually uh, design your des own. Design you mentioned own. earlier that you said because you were so young, mm -hmm. but obviously so talented because you'd investigated it all and analyzed it all so much was that one of the reasons that you're always flying other people's paragliders were they not ready to sort of make your ideas into production models at that time or were you still kind of learning the craft as it were mm, yeah the problem was <clears throat> actually that i was too young too young that people are actually able to understand that this little guy over there maybe has his has his has its point. Yeah, has an idea. Yeah, that has could an be idea, good. and that could be good. So uh, in the end, it was very frustrating for me because uh, later on, I just realized that my that my way of thinking of like solving the problems actually lead to quite good products. Yeah. Uh, so it was 
it was not easy but you know it was just a part of the process and um, anyhow I was flying uh, with another guy next to my hometown Armin Amiharic yeah, exactly yeah. well these days it was not, yeah, it was not flight yeah. before exactly and we were just flying and we were giving lessons to people like how to fly and how to do like thermaling and, and things like that and I also was developing parts for him like accessories for paragliding harnesses like we were one of the first guys in the world which are making like these cocoons like these fully surfaced paragliding harnesses for racing yeah and so on and it's almost uh, like a cockpit for the it's body, a cockpit it? it's yeah. a cockpit yeah and uh, and uh, so we have been flying together for quite some some while and then in 2000 pretty much in 2000 when i quit school i don't know i think I think Armin came with a video and said, like, hey, man, here, I have the future. I said, like, okay, just let, let's watch the VHS yeah. cassette, like, cassette here. <laughs> like, to the end. Put it, put it, put it. Press, <laughs> fantastic, exactly. And with all the 360 pixels, pixels <laughs> you had. Uh, and uh, so that was the video high from okay. Tron Alona. Yeah, they're one of the ones out of Hawaii. Absolutely. And we pretty much uh, instantly decided that uh, kitesurfing is so much cooler than paragliding <laughs> that we at, at, literally at, at that day, at that evening, we decided to start our own kite brand, which is Flysurfer. And in 2001, uh, we got it all together and, uh, and founded it. And then I was um, in charge of everything design and production related. And Armin was selling it. Yeah, uh, that was basically what we have done. Uh, there was a good combination. We progressed quite fast, I have to say. And then, because um, kites were quite hard to come by at that time, still weren't they? It wasn't yeah, the market wasn't as established as it was now. So I guess if you're idea. coming to the market with a product, then there was a big appetite. For it, it was. It was. We have been very successful actually, and I have to say that we really have been convinced. Yeah, especially I mean that uh, um, soft kites are the future of the sport, and I also was because I was thinking like, well, these very ugly-looking two-liner, then four-liner uh, tube kites um, are not aerodynamically efficient, yeah. which was like a, a, a huge mistake. A long way from a paragliding. Yeah, wing. yeah, and you know, this is like when that. when you are coming from paragliding, you you basically think okay, it has to fly, mm -hmm. but we we haven't been into kiting enough to really understand that kite surfing is just so different than paragliding, so that the re the requirements for the product itself has to be totally different. Yeah. So the tube kite was. From the beginning, definitely outperforming the soft kite as it's still. And um, for me, it took like two years basically to understand that, that particular point. And then, uh, yeah. But um, yeah, from Flysurfer, everything lead to Skywalk. Yeah, uh, which was the paragliding arm. Paragliding, exactly. And I was also there in charge of the paragliders and the kites and pretty much everything. And you were still super young at this time. Yeah, 22, 21, 21. That's incredible, really. Did yeah. you, when you were at school, did you ever have an idea that this might be an avenue that you went down? Or was it, was it literally just seeing those paragliders in Bulgaria that kind of led you on this path? Well, the thing is, like, I, I always had, like, absolutely clear visions of what I would like to achieve. So I really always got myself minimum a 10-year plan. Sounds stupid, uh, like, sounds very communistic. But I always had that, and I always have still today. Um, I really try to plan the things in Advance um, because it requires so many different things. There are so many variables which you have to take into the consideration that 
I love to plan the things. I really go alive. I like to go into everything super deep and try to to see if I can make it happen. You know, yeah. like even with with the things I I would like to do for life. It, it's for me. It's pretty much always the same path, designing and like the achievements in life. Everything um, goes alongside. I would say so. Um, <clears throat> well, with Skywalk. Um, you mentioned I was very young, and I was really very young. I was young, I was super motivated, and I was under the impression that I only have to perform well, and then the success will come, which is, was a stupid idea. Yeah? <laughs> because I realized the better I was, the more, like, not enemies, you cannot, you cannot say that, it's not. It's too harsh, that word, yeah. but the, the more, more people... you can kind of put noses out of joint and upset people a little bit, and this is the who's thing. this young kid coming along and... Yep. Changing the people. way that things are going, and yeah. we were happy with what we were doing before, and now we've got to change because Ralph's making it difficult for us. Hundred, hundred percent, and it's absolutely clear. And uh, I mean, now I'm much older, and I and I soon realized that it was also not the right approach. I have to say, like the people looked at me and they they saw, okay, this little kid is basically overrunning me or us or whatever because I was, I was really on fire. Like I mean, I mean, I was. Definitely 16 hours per day working, like wow. minimum, no holidays at all for years. I never, like, for 10 years, I did not a single day of holidays and minimum 16 working days. And the 16, day, 16 hours per day, solid, solid, very productive, like, really. Otherwise, I could not have, like, established so many different projects and products. So I really tried to find the, the, the fastest way to roam. I know yeah. this is a very German saying, uh, basically meaning that... Uh, there are different ways to approach a goal, uh, which is absolutely clear. Like, this is the way to Rome, as we say in Germany. But I always say, like, I don't want to go to Rome. I want to find the, the fastest way yeah. to solve a problem. So this is basically my goal is just to really um, to, to be faster also than others, I would say. It sounds a bit weird, but I really try to get the fastest, more most productive way yeah. to solve an issue. The most direct route that you can exactly, take. Exactly, the most directly. This is the thing. That's the point. So and and uh, yeah, and we had these um, these uh, the company Skywalk, which was um, um, like outgrowing from Flysurfer. Flysurfer was pretty much together with Armin, and then we had six partners in the company, and then the political place um, started. Yeah, and which was um, for me, I could not handle that. I yeah. have to say, I was I was too young to actually to to fight against it yeah yeah so and i guess you're, you're young and you're you're focused on the yeah. passion which is the design side of it and the product development and the production side of it and then dealing with office politics is just yeah probably yeah. something that you hadn't even thought about at that time and no, never. it comes along and you're like what what's never. going on why is this never. guy saying something about me or yeah. whatever it makes I, it hard i was under the impression that really i just have to perform well and then just my performance will basically teach the other people to actually go my path it is uh, you can only think something like this if you're young. This is like, it's really, it comes with the age that you really have to take so much more parameters into the consideration, as I would say. So I learned my lesson. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I learned my lesson. I quit with, with Skywalk Duo to certain reasons because of that, pretty much. And I went to Nash, Nash Kiteboarding for a couple of months to Hawaii. Um, they gave me the opportunity to develop really crazy hybrid kites. Very interesting. But everything leads to the point that all the different approaches, which I tried over there, and um, we had really crazy ideas, everything. We pretty much developed everything you can pos potentially imagine. 
lead to the fact that the normal tube kite single skin approach is just the best. Yeah, it yeah? still and, works. And that, and that was one of the, the most important um, um, moments for my kite surfing career that I really also questioned myself how it was possible that I actually was stupid enough to think that, for example, soft kites are the way to go. So I really was struggling with myself and questioned myself very deeply why I did a mistake. Yeah, yeah in why the you end. didn't spot that yeah. the tube kites at exactly. the time were. Yeah. Yeah. And why why, why I didn't understood the physics of tube kites because I was just watching at it and I was like ah, I cannot fly so it was it was arrogant totally yeah. arrogant yeah so and I really also there in there I learned my lesson to really question the things like much more objectively and to really to really see what is the point and then I started to understand the physics about uh, the tube kites and that pretty much was the base for me to to develop. Um, kites let's say in a certain way kind of effortless yeah yeah because i i think i really do understand what's going on uh, from the aerodynamical side um, and um this is well since ever then that's a lot of fun that's been the where your focus as it yeah. were is on the the tube kites and developing those exactly. at what point did you start working with duotone it was in, after Nash, or um, after Nash, I founded another company called Istec. We developed uh, special downwind sails, spinnaker sails with a okay. with a wing attached. It was it's not my design idea. Uh, the idea comes from Hartmut Schädlich, a guy who did the patent in nineteen nineteen seven. But uh, the Istec, the company, just got the the license fees for the patents, and I developed these sails, fifty five different sails. Wow! Huge, yeah. This is. You can Google it, Parasailor in Parasail. It's a very well-known sail, actually, in the sail industry. It was uh, also voted to one of the most best inventions from the Yacht, Yacht Yacht magazine, Yacht Yacht, Yacht magazine, uh, uh, the last hundred years. So it's it's, yeah, it's 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 a really good product. So it's I haven't. It's not my design idea, as mentioned, but I just made it to life. Exactly, I brought it alive. If you can say that this way, yeah. yeah. And um, so. Yeah, I was working for Istec. I was establishing a production facility in Ukraine for that particular product. So it the was production of yacht sails must be on another level to producing small kites. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, or the, you, you know, with the same fact, concept as bigger things. This is the point. This is the point. I mean, you have the three-dimensional um, carbon sails, which are laminated sails, and the spinner cars are still very, very similar to kites or to yeah, to paragliders. Ripstop kind of material. Ripstop kind of material. The production process is very identical. You have like a cutter, and then you glue the things together, and you stitch it, and basically you have a final product. Sounds yeah. sounds easy. It's a little bit more complicated <laughs> than that, but in the end, it's like that. So I was there, and um, a colleague within that company, Christian Wenger, he um, was um, former in charge of building the North Sales production facility in Vatupiti Vela, Sri Lanka. Okay. So that was my new colleague, so and I went. Connection. That was the connection in the end. Yeah, Christian Christian Wenger was the guy who introduced me to Telemele. Yeah. And uh, we had a meeting, and uh, after that, I had a job. Basically, <laughs> it was uh, very straightforward. I was still focusing on the development uh, these days for the snow kites. Okay. Yeah, because um, Till just wanted to also proceed into that direction. 
So I did that for two years with Fabio and Grosso together. Very nice, interesting time. It was fantastic also working with Fabio since ever then. Yeah. And then um, just kitesurfing took off yeah, for Duotone, really. And uh, Till made the decision to, to split the design models to, into two designers, which we have until today. So Because around that time there was the four designs, wasn't there? And I think Ken took over two of them and you did the other two. Exactly, time, so exactly. And then we had new models coming away. So the Evo was the first model from, from my side. Uh, and then it was, I mean, right now I'm doing the Evo, the Vega, Vegas, Dice, the Jews. Is it? That's it. Yeah. That's it. Four. That's it. That's quite four, a lot. Four, four. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, and, and other projects as well. So I'm just, I was just thinking. Yeah. So, but this, these are the main um, models, and um, yeah, f within the portfolio, I think that's a perfect split. Yeah. Yeah, between Ken and myself. Ken um, is living in Maui and is very wave orientated. Yeah. With the Neo and the Rebel. Well, the Rebel is not so wave orientated, but. This is like his, it's his, his project, his, project, his child since, since forever. Ever. Exactly. And so I basically took over the Jews yeah, two years ago, which is very important for um, the European light wind market, which is massive. And uh, yeah, this is basically what we have today. But I have to say in this, um, in this point, um, I always took care about the production side yeah. of the Vuitton together with uh, Hannes Knolls, the production. Uh, production manager of Global Sports Lanka and together with Hannes we also developed the modular system we called it Progression 10 which was definitely the turning point yeah for and that's been around for a while with oh, it's a lot, right? it's yeah, a big, it was a huge project when you first undertook it it was massive it was really massive and uh, I mean I have spent really years of my life in Sri Lanka and years in the production facility and, it and this was for, for anyone that's listening it's like it's like the quality control stages of making sure everything from every step of the way is perfect when it comes out of the factory. This is the final the result of it. So basically what we have done, we, we questioned every single seam, every material, every um, production manufacturing technique. So we completely reinvented on the production level for Duotone the kites, like everything. We, not a single seam has been uh, untouched. So okay. the, the everything, like the way we glue the top panels together, like the leading edge, the, the segment joins, the machinery, a huge thing because I was used to, to different machineries, like to more automized computer cutting machines, um, to lasers and to lectras, uh, which are able to cut whatever 50 splice and to be much more efficient. Yeah? So. And with Hannes, I had a fantastic, perfect match partner. So he was also absolutely into it. And uh, we pretty much, yeah, started kind of from the scratch in a certain way, in yeah. a certain way, yeah. It, and there was a fantastic base from his work, but it was the next level. It was like, in the end, nothing else than what the automotive industry, what Honda did, like back in the old days, it was just a, the modular system. So everything I did ensured in the end that, um, the, uh, the kites are on the highest quality level yeah. possible and that if then um, if, if Ken sends a file that the file is treated the very same way as my designs so pretty much we are sitting on, on a complete different sides of the world but the, the outcome will come out 
perfectly. It's totally the same. It's absolutely the same. And and even more important is if we have a design change, we do the design change globally. So if we have a part which is, for example, falling apart and we have to do a running change, it's affecting the entire production chain and also all the models simultaneously. And that also ensures that we are much quicker of changing something and much much more able to progress yeah yeah so you can react to you know when something after. makes it to production but doesn't quite work in the real yeah. world as you expected <coughs> it to you can make those changes quickly without it upsetting the whole apple cart and the scene of things yeah, that's the point how do you find designing tube kites um compared to designing paragliders and things mm -hmm. like that is there you know you you mentioned earlier that you know the paraglider it's designed to fly and the tube mm -hmm. kite works in a different way mm -hmm. what's the sort of process be behind when you sit down and start thinking about how you make it work well uh, first of all like the, the the initial point is very similar you really have your target yeah. yeah without the target you're not able to proceed yeah so that's very clear and um, on a paraglider and on a kite, you you, speci you specify like the um, the target group of users, <clears throat> and then from the target group coming, you say, okay, these have to be the flight properties, and it's very similar. Um, I mean, Duotone has this huge portfolio because we have been able to go into pretty much every single niche in the industry, ensuring that we have a wide portfolio, but by far the biggest market yeah like I mean Duotone is leading by so far the industry in terms of the sales and the yeah. kites which are produced it's actually crazy and one of the the, the the main points is that we have like pretty much every like the perfect product for all the different niches and in paragliding it's the same yeah um, it's, it's very similar the only big difference is that you have the certification process in paragliding so you really have to go and let it check by authorities yeah yeah which is like one of uh, the most complicated part um, of designing a paraglider because you have to take 22 different flight um, maneuvers into the consideration and uh, with a with a kite it just has to be bit better yeah. than the one before, the one before. <laughs> yeah that's, and of course it sounds also a little bit shortcutted because in the end it's not true um, i mean luckily we are in the position with duoton that pretty much Every single supplier in the world tries to approach us and tries to sell us their latest products, materials, lines, doesn't matter. And you really have the chance also to go uh, crazy on design ideas. Uh, I mean, we have since three years, we have bladderless kites. Yeah, we just never put it onto the market due to de different reasons, but we have. We have so, so much kites without bladders and so kites on. without bladders, ultrasonic welded, everything. Yeah, technology is there, but you, you the thing is that you have an idea. Like I made a patent for the ultrasonic welding a couple of years ago, and I was also under the impression that this is really the future. But in the end, we made it happen. So we we finally had a kite with bladderless or struts bladderless, and then we realized that the production process is so much more complex, and the way to repair in the end then the, the bladderless hoops is even more complicated in a certain way or it's so yeah, much it's different. different yeah it's not even more complicated but it's so it's much different. different that actually sometimes it is just um, better to to wait and see what's next on the menu yeah which is like now like now things are changing dramatically in, in kite surfing definitely the next two years will be super interesting uh, there are like new materials approaching the market and um, that will lead automatically to really 
different new kite designs, like really new different kite designs. I mean, you mentioned that you're looking for a target mm -hmm. with something like coming up with a bladderless kite mm -hmm. design. Is the target to make the kite lighter and a lighter kite flies better? Mm -hmm. Or what's the sort of thinking behind leading you to some of these crazy ideas? Is it <clears throat> what's the sort of ultimate goal of it's always quite development. It's always it's, it's it's like two variables variables basically in the end. It's like of course the performance of the kite. This is one the accessibility. So um, I always say the commercial aspect. So what I do as a designer for Dugaton, I have to ensure that my products are as commercial as ever possible. Yeah, to be successful. Yeah, yeah? financially successful. So um, this is of course one point. But the other is. If you have different materials, like let's say, for example, you have a bike made out of steel and then you just come up with a full-on carbon version and you like it, it takes maybe 10 seconds for someone to realize what a difference it makes in everything, in, in the behaviors. And this is something which is another point. So it really is a huge difference if you have a light or a heavy product. And in paragliding, this is a tendency started already five years ago into the direction that everything has to be as light as ever possible. And that led it also to new wings, different wings, different target groups. Very interesting. And a light glider not always have only pros, um, but generally speaking, a light glider is very interesting. And a light tube kite, um, a really light tube kite, uh, is, is outperforming everything what is uh, existing on the market. This is what I can tell you definitely. Yeah, I <laughs> know no, you've got to be careful. You can't say too much. No, I can't say. I, I can. I can show it to you, yeah, you but can but you cannot yeah, exactly. But you it. cannot. You have to yeah. Yeah, cut out my eyes afterwards <laughs> and tell me I can't tell anyone. Um, so you mentioned yeah. one of the first kites that you're involved in from yeah. scratch was uh, the Evo, which yeah. I remember when that came out on the market, and you know it was a bit of a, a groundbreaking kite for. Duotone at the time because it, you could fly it on four lines I think yeah. as well and it wasn't yes. just the five line kite which has always been historically one of the things they were pushing certainly at that time. Um, you've recently changed the design of that quite radically from mm -hmm. five struts to three struts. Mm -hmm. What sort of what's the process behind that kind of thinking that you suddenly go okay we want to go down to the three strut route as opposed to a five strut route for instance? Also, first of all I have to say it was basically a challenge. It was a challenge between Till Ibala and myself. Um, it really was like a kind of a gambling thingy yeah. um, because um, the question was is it possible to develop a three-strut kite with pretty much the same or better flight characteristics than the one on five? So that was the question. That was, yeah. you know, that was the competition, and and then we decided to go for it. Um, <clears throat> also, due to the market situation, we have kites in the market like the Bandit, and uh, we always needed like a competitor. Yeah, we needed like to 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 ensure that we have a three-strut kite as well, which is able to compete and hopefully also to win in certain regards. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, um, clearly. And um, so um, I started um, to develop this new frame concept uh, to, to really see how far I can push the limit of uh, three struts. And the first three prototypes already show that it's first possible to have the same kind of structural stiffness. And actually, the kite was better in every single regard, in everything. It was more commercial. Yep. It was lighter on the bar. It has more sheet and go. The upwind ability was better. The relaunch ability was better. It was cheaper. Yeah. Super important for us as well. Yeah. yeah it's very nice. I mean, it's in the end, if you want to reach mass market, yeah, I mean, sorry to say, but it must be on a certain price point. Yeah. 
you know, and uh, also that it has to go to schools and it has like a wide range, it has to have a wide range of different characteristics and I think with the Evo, especially now with the latest restart version, we really nailed it and, and, and you just have to look at the sales figures in the end and this is what I'm like, I really try to judge myself also on the sales figures and I think we are 8,000 something with this particular model and um, this is uh, not bad. Yeah, that's a huge number of it is. kites to sell, especially when you have so many kites in the range already. You know, yeah. eight thousand would be impressive if you just had the Evo. Yeah. So to have eight thousand when you've got you know the Vegas, the Dice, the Neo, the Rebel, um, and the Juice and the others as well is a, a pretty big achievement. I mean, we are in the lucky position that overall last year, like in two thousand nineteen, so we are in the two thousand twenty range right now, we have been selling. No, not producing. There's a huge difference. Yeah. Selling. 36,000 kites. This so is a huge number. That's a huge number. That's a really huge number. This is... Mind-blowing. Yeah. In terms of the paragliding world, it's like really, it's a massive number. And the most important thing, as I just mentioned, is we sold them. No, no, yeah. We haven't produced them. Yeah. That's a huge... That's it's a big difference to that's having a big them difference. sat in a warehouse yes. somewhere, yeah. getting sold cheap. <laughs> <laughs> just and, 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 dust. Yeah, and closing them out or whatever. Like yeah. this, is, this is a complete different thing. Yeah. No, but... Um, also there with the evil, one thing leads to another. Yeah, the the juice, for example, which I took over from Ken, um, is also highly influenced by the three strut ideas and from the evil in a certain way. And now with the the current model, which is which is going to be released on the market soon, I guess. I yeah, think right think so, now, yeah. right now, I think uh, or next month, maybe next month. I think yeah. In summer. Okay, so for me because it's really it's. Sounds maybe a bit stupid. The future I'm, and you never I'm, know what's current because this you're is the thing. I'm on 2020 ahead. models, and then we have these these other projects going on. With it's 21 already, yeah, not only you're 2020. Living in the future. Totally two years in, uh, ahead, basically. So I really have to think what we are going to produce at the moment. So, but the juice was in production right now, so it's coming to the market next month, I guess. And um, so, for example, this this kind is 15% lighter. As the as the uh, previous one, and uh, with new materials, yeah, with we have tweaked everything what was available, and I tell you, fifty percent sounds like nothing. It's a major difference. Yeah, it's it's so radical in terms of the light wind back launch relaunch um, starting abilities. It, it turns much smoother. It hooks much better, which is very important for going on the foil because. You really have to do the, the, the down loop to actually get yourself dragged or hooked above the board to actually keep going. This is like the, the most important thing. The turning abilities is super important. So 15% in, uh, in weight reduction makes a huge difference. And uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. You can say that this is interesting. And if only 15% reduction makes such a huge difference, just imagine if you have something which is like 50% lighter, yeah. for example. The goal is always going to be... The goal is always be. Is, again, it's in other industries. It's not that we do something totally new. Uh, we, we definitely, we all follow a certain path. And we definitely try to adapt the things from other territories into what we are doing. And I think this is something um, which also... Um, Stands for other parts of Duotone, um, for the click bar, for example. Yeah, yeah. trying to really uh, do something outstanding. Or the 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 the, the boards with uh, snowboard technology, yeah. which pretty much came groundbreaking from groundbreaking stuff at the time. Groundbreaking stuff. The industry. Totally. No, I mean we really have to see that. And and these kind of ideas, I think. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's it's really fun to to be able to work for Duotone uh, on this particular like level. 
because as mentioned now like the suppliers approaching us and you're not like going to them and saying like oh what do you have and could you they really want to do the business with you because we are so big and uh, it's fantastic it's a very good opportunity it's a good position and um, I think everybody in the in the office enjoys that and uh, and now of course with the the North kiteboarding to do its own move yeah yeah it's the big thing that everyone's been talking about so it's a interesting times i mean one of the things i noticed on your social media i think the other day i don't know yeah. how much you can say about it but you've got some quite unique ideas for sort of testing yeah products and that seems to be yeah. a new direction that you're moving in where i noticed there was all these contraptions rigged up on the yeah. pipe and the bar and the lines to yeah. sort of obviously measure measure various things yes um, exactly being you know is that something that you've been doing for a long time or is it something that's more recent or <clears> is it something that you feel that has to be done to to get the product to where it needs to be. Um, to answer your question correctly, first of all, definitely there was the need to develop something like this. I mean, yeah. it, first of all, um, if you are on the level, on the stage where we are at the moment, little m minor changes are making huge difference. I can tell you, if we would go to the beach and, for example, with an evil prototype, and I change you the bridles, in a range of 1.5 centimeters, I can give you three completely different kites. You will not recognize that this is the same kite. So much of a difference. So in the end, it's like validating. Yeah? Yeah. It's re really, you have to come to the point where, where you have to ensure that you're not guessing, that you know. And I mean, again, car industries, other industries. Yeah, I mean, we are in in a sport-related uh, industry and we are not really professional in really going to like to into the validation of flight characteristics and um, there was a very interesting project from the University of Berlin um, operated by Jan Hummel and he approached me I think three and a half years ago already or four years ago and the idea was to develop an automated test bench which is not only capable of measuring all flight-related data, but also being able to operate automatically. So basically, the system flies the kite by itself, like wow. uh, in real time. So this thing um, is has happened. We're using it. Um, it's the only company so far worldwide. Uh, we have validated all our different kite models. So now I do not have to fight with Till which kite has the best depower range <laughs> because you now can I can. See it. Yeah, but this is the funny thing, you know. So is it measuring things like bar pressure, everything, power, everything, everything, every everything. It's just you can think of. every parameter you can potentially think of. And does it look like a robot kite surfer, or no, does it look like no. a massive bench with some? It, it is. Like it is. It sounds pretty interesting. It, it, it's super interested and interesting, and we will also publish some, some, of course, some details about it. Uh, it was not only developed for us because it's a university, yep, university project, project exactly yeah, also with, together with. with the university of delft which also were um in charge of um of of uh, uh, measuring flexible wings it's, okay. it's not about measuring kites it's about measuring flexible wings and while it looks um you have like a t5 bus yeah which basically drives the test bench, which is like attached to it. Yeah. And on there you have various servo motors and 360 degrees cameras, very sophisticated things, very, very interesting. Like a lot of very clever guys have also made a couple of new patents based yeah. on that uh, test bench. And um, 
You can measure everything. There's, of course, depowerability. Like, how much power does the kite generate? How, how far does it sit like, in the wind window? How, how, um, um, how fast, uh, like, how, how much of a delay you have when you initiate. Unhooking and you're doing tricks, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, this is basically, this is the only thing we cannot do because it's constantly pulled. Yeah, so, unhooking, so can't do unhooking. And that's but... basically the point. Thank you for mentioning this. Because <laughs> this is the second project which were related on that pro uh, project. And this is what you're referring to and what you have seen on my Instagram um, and page. This is um, a test bar, so yeah. a kite bar, a click bar, where uh, three sensors are attached. And these sensors, they can not only measure the, the load, which runs through the lines, it can also measure the angle of the lines. So you have like a very fantastic way of measuring generally the load through through the system yeah. yeah you can see like how much you have to load up the kite before you jump you can see how much force you have in a kite loop you can also study what does it require to actually keep you going yeah so it's very interesting that you, it's quite right an now. incredible amount of information that you're suddenly it, getting that you didn't get before before you're relying on a, a tester yeah. to say hey this feels like that and yeah. this feels okay and you're looking at the kite on the beach and going okay well it's flying that far forward and it's now designer's heaven physical, yeah physical <laughs> parameters which must be incredible i mean i guess on one hand it makes it easier to design on the other hand it could make it even more complicated. Ah, not really. You just have to uh, find your find it the right way to interpret the parameters. Yeah. This is the thing, and and this is the thing. This is the with statistics in general. Yeah, it's like in Germany we say never trust a statistic. You never have you haven't cheated by yourself. And I'm, yeah. I'm not able. I'm not. I'm not sure if you can say that in English in this yeah. way. But it really like statistic, and this is a kind of a statistic anal analysis. Um, you really have to 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 understand the entire environment yeah so really under which circumstances this parameter has been um, tracked and uh, the rider the board the wind the kite the lines and everything has to be put into a parametric situation but generally i can tell you that it's extremely interesting that for example to keep you going on a twin tip yeah you need pretty much 50 percent of your own weight has to run through the entire line system to from yeah. from between you so and you're, the So you're weighing half a, half the amount exactly. that you weigh just to and this is to keep going to keep going. to keep going and then that's different on the on the foil and then you have very interesting things. Why we have done that also is the fact that we really want to develop all the, the lines, the, yep. bar, the the kite lines, the the lines which are on the bar uh, further. And if you do not know which um, Break loads uh, or general which which loads you have on the lines, then you're always completely overdimensioning everything. Yeah. You know, like this is this is a, a tendency. Of course, you have to take the wear into consideration. Absolutely no question, but generally, um, it gives you a new set of information, which is like the base again for also for this test bench because you can do like a kind of a mixture of these two different um, test scenarios. The yep. one is like no, dragged yep. and the so other is just and static the real world and the other is the real world. Perfect, exactly. Um, so it's a very, very wide field which is just now starting to open. Um, we will have the Olympic Games one day and it definitely everything will go into the, to the direction that um, kites will be designed and developed with more parameters behind, yeah. I would say. Like so definitely. much more precise and rather than a 
designer mm. saying, hey, I think that looks good on my program, and then getting some prototypes, go, oh, it flies okay, and feels all right, let's put it in production, it will be a much more thought out. One day, it will take some One years. Day. One day, it will take some years because it is the flexible wings. I mean, you have to understand that the University of Berlin has been the, the first university ever who were really able to make that kind of project work, yeah, to measure flexible wings. The idea behind it is actually to say, to feed um, CFD models, yeah, um, like computer fluid dynamics, analyzes with the right parameters. But so far, the parameters are just not existing. You just don't know where the kite starts to bend. Yeah. Yeah? So you really have to get these parameters done. And I tell you, it is very complex, really. It really depends on so many variables, like leading edge inflation pressure and materials and structural stiffness and bridal geometries and everything. But in the end, first of all, it is extremely interesting to see that Model A, in comparison to model C, for example, has D in these parameters. And as mentioned, I do not have to fight yeah. in the office, not in the office, but, but uh, yeah, mostly well, against Till, yeah, saying so that whatever this guy it is, uh, is, is better than this one. It's on paper. There Perfect. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has more D power. It's got lighter bar pressure. Yes. And there are the numbers to prove yes, it. Exactly. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I know moving away from kites a little bit, yeah. um, because you're, you know, we were chatting earlier and you sound a little bit like me, where all your hobbies, you tend to turn them into work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I'm exceedingly guilty of. You go, I'm really enjoying doing this. I know I'll yeah. start a magazine about it. And then suddenly it <laughs> stops being fun anymore and you end up hating it and going, why on earth did I do that? Um, but one of the things that you like doing that I also see on your social media is um, you're really into your motorsports yeah. and racing cars. How mm. did that come about? Because that's quite a competitive thing. Mm. And the other thing I was going to ask you is, have you ever been competitive in paragliding or kiteboarding or was the competitive nature? of you to produce the best equipment um the second one so yeah. I, I really i'm extremely competitive yeah i really would claim myself i'm maximum competitive i really if i start something i want to do the best i 100 yeah. guarantee it. it doesn't matter if it's the jibe oxley icaro all my own brands or the software engineering we have uh, yeah. uh, talked about earlier it has it to be the best it has to be the best. It has to be outstanding. Um, this is this is my goal. You know, it's like others have to judge if I have achieved it or not. But the cool thing in in car racing is, you rather on the podium or you're not. Yeah. You know, it's this easy is to like measure. it's and this is the point. I love to be measured. Yeah, because this is the way I think, and um, so I, I love to also have this competitive situation with my with my driver colleagues which are all friends, and um, you really have to do, you really have to have a couple of people operating um, the car. You, to operate a race, you need at least six, seven people around the car, like mechanics, for the pit stop mechanics, yeah. everything. So it's 100% teamwork. And this is fantastic. You know, this is teamwork because you have to plan it. Yeah, And also you have to plan teamwork. You have to really to, 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 to talk to everyone and to, to align everything and to see that the car is ready and... Also get yourself into the car, into the mechanical side of it. I loved, for example, I have a couple of cars and and uh, I also do modify them by myself. Also like aerodynamical parts. So I develop aerodynamical parts for the car and, and just to see if, if it performs better. So overall, it is a, just a fantastic playground. First of all, to to not be distracted by something else because for me, it's like very difficult, I have to say, to really relax. I'm not yeah. really 
able to do that? 16 hour days. Yeah, <laughs> and teaching yourself the problem CAD when you're sort of 13. Yeah, I can and, see and, that. and I tell you, the thing is, it's it's the the problem is I like my my head no, never stops to compete. Yeah, it was very very bad when I was young, and now when I'm getting older, it's just like flattened out. Luckily. Um, but I'm just, I have the capability of do really doing different things parallelly, but also that stops me from relaxing, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm, it's really hard to not think about anything, which is not possible for me at all anyway, but sitting in the car and actually going around the corner as fast as possible forces me to really focus on that single event. You know, this is like the, the most important thing. If I don't do it, I just go straight with 220 into the wall. <laughs> and then it's not that I harm myself, but I crash my car. Yeah, and, that and, is, that's and that's a shame. Yeah. And, and very expensive <laughs> on the other side. And it's a shame. And uh, I never crashed anything. So, oh, and don't tempt fate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So far. But it, the day will come. The day, it's, it's just, no, no. A race, of time. No, it's, it's just racing. An, it's, an, it's, it's racing. It's 100%. It's 100% racing. It will happen to me as well, definitely. Um, but this is the point. I really try not to do it, but really to go on the limit. And that um, you can really feel. I can. I can personally feel it when I'm sitting in the car. Of course, first you have the adrenaline uh, rush, but after a couple of laps in the race, I really try to come down so much, and I, I, I'm actually more relaxed than in any other situation. And I'm going as fast as that is possible. Because you can't think about work. You can't think exactly, about anything because else. I'm You're just, just concentrating in the moment on the track. It is just dancing. You know, I'm not really good in dancing, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's like a rhythm. Yeah. And this is just like, really, it's rhythm. And it's like really trying to feel. It's like having a partner. The car is your partner. And the partner may change because when you dance, maybe your partner has, an, has one more gin and tonic. And then yeah. uh, just like, you know, the, yeah. the rhythm changes. Yeah. Yeah? Or the music changes. And then, of course, you have you have to adapt to that. And uh, when I'm in the car, and of course, you have the wear of the tires. Uh, you have like the car is getting lighter because it's the, like, fuel and... the fuel and everything. And then you have the other cars around you. And then you really have to the strategy. Everything comes into place. It's fantastic. It really ha it really focuses me in the way that I'm sitting there, and I really feel like a relief. And this is the time when I'm the fastest. And this is so interesting, also for myself. I really learn so much about myself. By doing this, because really, I, I'm 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 there, and I could do it for 20 more hours. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really exhausting. Yeah, the car is super hot. You go with 1.5 g through the corners, and you have to be like really you're pushing, you're pushing, but it's still it's fantastic. I love it. I really have to say, like cars, cars in general. Are my hobby the last remaining? <laughs> and uh, well, you've already started making aerodynamic parts for it. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, that's maybe there. Maybe it's going to suddenly yeah, turn into something <laughs> where all of a sudden you're designing wings for an F1 team or something. Uh, that, that would be fantastic. I would love to do that. Uh, I always thought about that actually, quite. Some, I'll be honest, but um, now because I really, this is something else. For example, Formula One is is, is a field. I, I do watch Formula One. I do read uh, the magazines I'm of course all the infos right now today is the second test day yeah. in Barcelona and of course what I do I just check the aerodynamical parts on it and and I, I really try to understand the concepts behind it and uh, it's fantastic it's just it's 3d chess for me I just try to understand what they are doing and 
and I think I'm able kind of to make predictions yeah. which ones is better. Not for the aerodynamical part, of course, not for the package. That's clear. That's absolutely clear, um, because the, I mean there are many ways to roam, as we yeah, said. Exactly. And you could have the best aerodynamics, yeah. but the worst yes, chassis, and, and the worst chassis, and then whatever worst else. Worst engine, and you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and this is like, and of course, Adrian Newey, I have to say, is absolutely outstanding um, in terms of his capabilities in aerodynamical designs. There's no question about it. Funnily, Mercedes with a completely different approach. Yeah, um, Red Bull has one super brain, and Mercedes they have not one super brain, but a lot of very talented people. And the result right now is better than the super brain. So it's also very interesting to see uh, how the team, works, how the team works out, and, the, and 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 everything comes together. You know, it's very interesting to see these different type of structures and different ideas. Also, how to operate. Um, uh, Mercedes is operated by Mr. Wolf. Uh, super interesting, like how he is able to motivate his team. It's fantastic. Like yeah. all these things aside, but yeah, chess. To, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But also when you listen yeah. to him, it's just like yeah, it's, it's, it is chess. Yeah. It's chess. Yeah. It is, it's nothing else than chess. Yeah. You yeah. mentioned earlier that you always have a, a ten-year plan. Is that always a rolling 10-year plan? It's a rolling 10-year plan. So yeah. what's your 10-year plan at the moment? Where are you <laughs> going to be in 10 years? <laughs> in 10 years, uh, hopefully being able to focus on software engineering because mm -hmm. this is something I've been doing for the last like four years. Um, my own companies are um, operated by um, a ERP system which I have developed together with uh, a team of nine people. That's also my biggest personal investment. It's called Pika 6, and I think we do have some pretty interesting ideas in there. I would not, I would not be able, literally, to operate all the different companies simultaneously without that. Yeah, it's absolutely clear. It is the future. Like this type of software, like the thinking, the logic behind it, is the future of um, trading in the future. Yeah, it's just a question if I can maybe. Wow. Develop it, or if I can develop Pika Six to the point where I actually find the right investors, yeah. yeah, and get to and this there. is and first of all, I have to prove it. Yeah, it's very clear because it's too complicated to talk about it. You really have to prove that all these logics and um, dependencies between the entities are working. I mean, this is super. It's the most complex thing I've ever done, and I love it to do it. And um, I mean, I, I this is not saying that I don't li like to do kite development and I think as long as I have the chance to do it I will always do it um, but I also have to say absolutely that um, um, asking me about the 10 years plan then uh, there is so much more to come in yeah. terms of software I mean we had a chat yeah. earlier you, you said it also it's for your company <laughs> it is the future and you really have to stick to that and uh, sales everything the sales hierarchies everything the markets they will change it's just a question when yeah. you know and if you're like on board with it. On board or not? Right. If you're not on board with it, you might not be. You, you might not be. You never know. But I mean, this is like, I, I'll try to calculate my chances, I would say this way. Where time. do you think kite design will go in the next 10 years? What do you think will be riding? Super, <laughs> super straightforward, extremely simple answer. It's going to be light. Yeah, just lighter. Mm, not just. Not just. Not just. just. Not, 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 not just. Unfortunately, really, I'm not able to talk about it yeah. uh, in detail right now, but I. But I can tell you, this is not a secret. Um, it will. There are definitely things which will change the industry. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the design aspects, and I think it can give the industry another big boost. So um, I think kiting has 
potentially a bright future, and I think it's, it will grow. Yeah, so this is our like my personal prediction by just looking about the products which we have in our backyard. Ready okay. to go. Ready to go. No, at some point you'll be able to halfway ready to go. At some point you'll be able to close button. Yeah, Ralph, that's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And there we have it. Season two, episode two in the bag. I hope you enjoyed that one. It's an interesting chat with Ralph. Um, and I've since seen him since and we've discussed a few other projects and I've actually seen the lightweight kite that he talks about in the flesh and it was quite an impressive bit of kit can't say too much about it because it's still very much under wraps but as he said the future of kiteboarding is going to be light and having seen some of the things that he's working on I can well believe that I hope you enjoyed that one um, as ever give these a like and a share Ruben Lenton's is already up season two episode one so if you haven't heard that one yet then get on the case with that one just sharing them on social media and things like that helps people hear these and gets the word out there and it just makes them um, a little bit more accessible and obviously the more people that listen to them the more I get encouraged to keep recording them I really enjoy putting them together even though I fully admit I'm a bit slack at getting them out there to you but hopefully as I said at the beginning of this podcast over the next few weeks I've got a little bit more time on my hands so I'm going to try and get some more content up and out there anyway I hope you enjoyed it and a until next time, have a fantastic week or weekend and look after yourselves.